But I want to get right into it, though. Something that you told me the last time me and you spoke with each other, it stuck with me since since then, and it's been bothering me. Not bothering me, but it's just been something that's on my mind. It's uh, the shapeshifter thing. Yeah. <laughs> you said you met a shapeshifter. I want you to tell me that story again, because I really would like for the people to hear that. Yeah, so I was in Puerto Rico on my 27th birthday, and we had went out to this uh, really nice club in San Juan. I met this guy. I ended up, like, hanging out with him after the club. We just, like, sat in his car for, like, hours and talked. And this guy didn't know me from Adam. I didn't know him. So he had, like, no idea of, like, the scope of, like, knowledge that I had when it come to, came to other stuff. Mm-hmm. Anyways, started talking. The more we talked, um, the more he revealed to me. Um, I found out he was a high-ranking Freemason, number one. But also, he told me that his grandmother had sold his soul when he was, like, six years old. Mm. And um, because of that, he was, like, something came up to him one day. Let me say that. Something came up to him one day, and it was, like, a human. Mm. And he followed into the woods and after or into a cave. I'm sorry. He followed into a cave, and um, the being revealed itself to him. And he said, like, their back was, like, as big as, like, the backseat of a car, and they're really tall. And um, anyways, he used to, like, have to call upon this being at first, like, and it would help him with stuff. But now it's to the point where it's, like, the being is into him, so he can shapeshift. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, so he looks like a normal person. He answered a lot of questions that I asked him. He also can speak, like, almost all languages and he can cut into them like that. Mm. Um, And he, he um, asked me if I wanted to like, see if it was real. Like, Mm. you know, he wanted to prove himself to me. And I was like, how? He's like, it's in the eyes. So it's dark as fuck. We're in an alley and I shine my flashlight into his eyes. Mm. And like at that moment, it felt like the room or the car, everything just like stood still and it's like I was frozen, like something was trying to like come to me. So I dropped my phone really fast and I was like, you're good. I don't want that. Yeah. What was his, okay, so his grandmother sold his soul? Yes. What was the re? did he ever say the reasoning behind it? I have no idea. Yeah. And what was his, uh, was he, uh, what was his ethnicity? Was he black? What was Puerto- his race? He was Puerto Rican and he was born in Puerto Rico, never mm-hmm. lived anywhere else, but he also, what's crazy, I'm, I'm kind of afraid to say this part. I didn't say this last time. Mm-hmm. But um, if you don't he, think you should say it, don't say it. Okay, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I was gonna say, if you don't think you should say it, don't say it. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, okay, what was that experience like? I, did did you tell other people afterwards, and did they believe you? Um, for some yeah, people, that'll be hard it changed to my life because outside of I just gave you like a brief synopsis, mm-hmm. but uh, the guy was really smart and was answering a lot of questions that I had because I'm like, I kept trying to test him to make sure. But um, he did tell me his, like, these things that people think are, like, aliens or whatever. They're actually just, like, ancient creatures that have been here or, like, whatever you want to call them. Um, they've been here since, like, the beginning of times. Like, the things that you read about in the Bible and stuff like that, those are the same creatures. They never left Earth. So that stuck with me. And then I asked him, I was like, well, if you're this, like, all-knowing person, like, did like how did you find me? Like, what made you want to talk to me? Like, what was it? And he said... Um, the light doesn't go searching for you. You go in search of the light. Mm. And I don't know what that means. I was going to say, what do, <laughs> what do you think it means? And it's changed throughout the years. Yeah. Um, either I, I feel like maybe I had a light that he saw. Mm. Um, 
and that's probably where I'm at right now. Yeah, yeah. And speaking of you being where you are right now, um, you just did something. What was it last weekend? You spoke in front of every. What, what was the whole thing with you speaking and everything? I know you told. Oh, me. I'll speak. I'll be speaking. Oh, next it wasn't. Week. Okay, gotcha. gotcha, gotcha. Uh, but I did attend like this training over the weekend. And what was that like? The training. It was really fun. It was like I was learning how to work on campaigns and stuff. So mm-hmm. it was good. It was knowledgeable. It was like a, a four dummies class in a way because they just broke every little thing down. Mm-hmm. And I learned a lot. And campaign, because uh, for the people listening who may not know, you're a Republican, right? I vote Republican, yes. Okay. Uh, well, what are, what would you be technically? What, how would I categorize you? If that's the thing. I know a lot of people don't like being categorized. But if I had to, what, what, would, I, what would you be considered? I'm probably just a conservative. Conservative. Yeah. Got you. Got you. And um, that's what you went to, like, a conservative meeting camp. What, what was it? Yeah. Um, Workshop, I mean. Yeah, mm-hmm. pretty much. Um, it's, it was by the Leadership Institute, and they train um, politicians or people who want to work in politics. They kind of, like, get you suited and booted and ready for it. Mm-hmm. Because that's pretty much what you do. You're a coordinator, right? Yes. For... Uh, Tennessee conservatives concerned about the death penalty. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so far, I mean, you've accomplished um, a few things, but one of the, the highlights is something dealing with your family that we sp- spoke about on the first episode mm-hmm. that uh, you ever did. Um, so now where you are with that, you, you say you speak next week. So um, what will what what's the details with that? Yeah, so I'll be speaking at Freedom Fest, and I'll just be covering the death penalty and, like, uh, how things are going, because I lobby as well, lobby bills. Um, so I'll be speaking about, like, my conversations with lawmakers and how and if I see any change mm-hmm. with that. Gotcha, gotcha. And you'll have a, a moment to speak yourself on stage. Yes. I'll be, I'm part that? of the discussion, yeah. Gotcha. Are you nervous about that? Uh, not really. Yeah, yeah. I think a lot of the times when you're passionate about the things that you do and you're really serious about it, um, that yields like great things or good things or good conversations, I think. Yeah, and uh, that's one thing I was talking to my therapist about because I know the first time I came here, I, I only had like one meeting, mm-hmm. but I had my second meeting last week. And after all that I had learned from the training that I went to, I was like, you know, because she asked me, like, what do I want from this? And I couldn't really think, you know, at the beginning. I was just like, you know, I guess I have, like, a clear mind or something. Mm-hmm. And But when I came back, I was like, I want to, like, not be afraid to use my voice. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah. Were there ever moments where you were afraid to use your voice, do you think? Yeah, so, like, I'd say, like, three years ago. Because I've been in, like, I guess like a political commentator on my own for a really long time and, and like an activist and stuff like that. But, um, whenever I started like doing it in a more professional space, I feel like I wasn't as polished. Mm -hmm. So people didn't want me to speak. There's like, they're more so like be quiet or like, you're not ready. And so because of that, like I had like this, such a strong will to like, want to just tell people things or just like, because I, I know my point of view is good and people can, like, get it. But um, my fire got put out for a while. Yeah. And I say I started building myself back up, like, last year to, like, or not even last year. Probably earlier this year I kind of realized it. And I was like, no, your, your voice does matter. And people love when you speak. And you're good at this. And you can't let people take that away from me. Right, right. So what is that process like, the process of, all right, I got into this. 
they pretty much, you know, destroyed my confidence or maybe brought me down to a level because I wasn't quite as experienced. What is the process like to build yourself back up? Um, Number one, like one thing that I always try to do, and I learned it from the 50th law, is like do things that scare you. Mm. So like anytime there's something where it's like where it's like a self-defeating thought or something like that, mm. I'm like, I got to do it anyway. Mm. Like you just got to you can conquer it once you do it. Yeah. And so that's just what I've been doing. So every time I have an opportunity for a speaking engagement or someone wants to talk to me, I just I'm like, okay, yeah. I can do that. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So what's now that you're here and you're getting ready, this will be your first speaking engagement, right? Public speaking. Yes. Okay. So now that you're here, what is the, the plan? What do you want? Where do you want to go from here? I know you have aspirations of being a politician, correct? So what's the next step after this? You do your first speaking engagement, then what? Um, continue to do speaking engagements, kind of find my crowd, mm-hmm. and um, maybe open up like a consulting firm just to help. Mm-hmm. And it's not even because it's so crazy when it comes to like politics because you find yourself just wrapped up in so much and you see so many areas of opportunity of like that could help. Um, but honestly. I don't like saying what I want to do because I don't know. Yeah, it could yeah. change. It could change. Yeah. I like that. I like that. Um, you say you've been in therapy and we talked about that the first time and you've had your second session now. Mm-hmm. Um, therapy. How has that been for you? It's been good. Um, so I know last time I was saying that my therapist was letting me know, like, look, you're very self-aware. Like mm-hmm. you won't need, you know, the basic stuff. But this session, I think she kind of diagnosed me. Yeah. And, or didn't really diagnose me, but told me two things that I suffer from. Mm. And one is PTSD and the other is shame. Mm. So when she said shame, I didn't really think of that. Like I never, that would have never crossed my mind beforehand. Yeah. And uh, so now it's like little things that I'm just like trying to like dig deep about. Mm. And I want to get rid of that shame because that's part of me not using my voice, I'm Mm. guessing. Shame of of what? I have no idea. It could be my past life as a dancer. Mm-hmm. Um, it could be the fact that I'm not with my child's father. I haven't really pinpointed where mm-hmm. that is. Yeah, I got you. I got you. So uh, in PTSD, is that where, where would they come from? Um, probably from. I, I want. I don't really think it's anything with childhood because mm-hmm. I got over that. But I think it's probably from my last. Uh, relationship it was a very abusive relationship mm, got you got you and you still harbor certain things from that from that past relationship you think um no see like i feel like i do really well mm-hmm. but like you know the book the body keeps the score yeah so there's certain things or certain triggers where even though mentally i'm okay it can like show in my body where i'm like anxious or yeah. i'm tense or just certain things like that so got you got you Listen, I think that, you know, a lot of the times uh, you you mentioned something with your childhood. Um, You say you think you're over that. I think a lot of the times that's the same case. Like we feel like we may be over those certain things until things come up and then we're reminded of those things. Mm -hmm. Do you think you can ever heal from anything? Yeah, I feel like the mind is powerful. So, mm-hmm. like, if you believe it, you can achieve it. Mm-hmm. Um, but certain things, like, I will have, like, flashbacks sometimes, especially, mm-hmm. like, um, when it comes to, like, the car, like, being in the car. Um, so I will have flashbacks, and I can't really control that. But yeah. whenever they do come, I just kind of, like, mm-hmm. it's okay, this is not real, but mm-hmm. whatever. 
And you're big on like, um, what's the word I'm looking for? You're big on uh, accountability and also not being viewed or seen as weak, yeah. especially like with uh, more specific black people. Us, uh, that's something we sp- uh, spoke about in the past. What do you? When did you adopt that mindset, and how do you think that'll be helpful uh, to us as a, as a race, as a people? Yeah. So actually, this uh, I used to talk to this rapper back in the day, mm-hmm. and he told me about this book that he was reading or that he had read a long time ago, and he was like, "You need to read this." Mm-hmm. And at the time, I was a dancer. I wasn't like the best dancer. I was kind of shy still. Mm-hmm. I was just jazzing all the time. I didn't really know how to like turn into character. Mm-hmm. And I read it. It was the 48 Laws of Power. Mm-hmm. And it like changed me from like that average whatever dancer to like the number one dancer in the club. Mm-hmm. And with that, um, that like started my quest of just like wanting to help myself. So I started reading a lot of self-help books and everything that everyone was saying was like, you're the master of your life. Like mm-hmm. you can control this. And it's like, if I can do it, everybody can. And we're kind of like um, put into these boxes of like, oh, you're black. You can't do this. Or it's going to be harder for you to do this. And in actuality, we're all human and have the same um, abilities to do what we want. Yeah. Yeah. I think that, no, you're right. I have I always had that mindset. That was uh, I think we spoke about that the last time. My book to be human. It's the cover of the book is me controlling me. I am the master, and I am also the uh, puppet puppet. I'm the puppet master, and I am the puppet as well. Um, I truly believe that you are the master of your fate. Um, how do we How do we get to a space? Is there will there ever be a time where we can convince the people around us otherwise though? I mean, in a perfect world, like I said earlier, if you can see it in your head, you can hold it in your hands. Mm. But um, there's a lot of profit into keeping people down, keeping yeah. people sick and brainwashed. Mm. So it's like when they, whenever people decide for themselves, you know, that they're ready, then that's the only time. Mm-hmm. Do you think that we as a people, like black people specifically, do you think that we're sick? Um, I don't want to say all of us. I feel like, you know, one thing that I hate, and this is both conservatives and liberals, is that they always show the worst of the worst black people. Like, when they're talking about black people, they're not talking about your everyday run-of-the-mill black person. It's always someone in the worst living conditions who's not, doesn't have a job, you know, like, so I do, I don't think black people are sick. I feel like there's parts of our, there's people who are black who are making horrible decisions or, you know, something horrible happened to them and some shit fucked up. But no, I don't think we are sick yeah. at all. Yeah. No, I agree. I agree. I think that um, one of the most powerful things on earth or anywhere is media, mm-hmm. you know, and it's. I was reading a book. It's called. Uh, I think it was a uh, Sapiens. Is what it's called. But basically, in the book, it talked about how the idea of of um, gossip is ingrained into our culture and why. If you put it in a perspective, go back to to the beginning, or not necessarily the beginning, or I, I won't say quote unquote the beginning, mm-hmm. when we were hunter gatherers, right? Um. We needed to gossip. We needed to share information with one another. Hey, you know, so-and-so over there is sick or they're coughing because as hunter-gatherers in that moment, that communication with one another was the difference between living and dying, right? 
because we need to know who was sick. We need to know, oh, that person was around the com- corner or whatever. I, all of that is a form of communication that we needed. So you take that, what we had then, and it's a million times that now where you have these people who figured out the art of media and the art of, you know, uh, the the whole scare tactics and so on and so forth to get people all riled up and everything. So with that being said, media is powerful, and I think that media tells us a lot of the times who we are as a people. I mean, and it, it spans not just from social media. It's all the way to, like, the movies that we see. Movies growing up, black people were portrayed as criminals and in negative lights. Some of our favorite movies, the classics, the Fridays, the Minister Societies, and all of that, you know, we're portrayed as, like, bad people. Right. And I think that that's a big part of it. That's all we've seen from the start. So I think it's, it's, it's media, too. And we can't eliminate media. You know, we don't want to do that. I mean, it's... But know? it's like, that's why, like, I love Charleston White so much because he puts a mirror of the same shit that people are rapping about mm-hmm. or the same shit that we see in the movies or it's all kiki and funny. Mm-hmm. If he says it just as a standalone person, people lose their fucking mind. Mm-hmm. But you can hear a rapper say it, and you, you'll dance along to yeah. it. And I met Charleston. I really like him. He's a mm-hmm. great guy, a gentleman. And he doesn't mean this shit. He's just yeah. saying, like, look, I can say it. You guys hate mm-hmm. me, and they can, and you guys dance and yeah. jump and cheer. He said he was the character. He said he, he, I tried to get him on the show. Well, I was in the process of getting him on the show, but we ended up, uh, I was speaking to his manager, I think it was. And uh, this has been probably a year ago now, but trying to get him on the show, and I'm unable to at the time, but I will in the future. I like Charleston as well. Yeah, I mean, yeah, <laughs> it's ridiculous. A lot of the stuff, the poison that we pump into our community and everything like that. We talked about something the last time. Uh, it was about um, dating. You said something. You said you want someone, you want to date someone who's intentional about dating. Is that how you put it? Yeah, well, I am intentional. You're intentional about dating. About dating. Yes. And you would, that, would you like that from your the person pursuing you as well, for them to be intentional about dating? Uh, for sure, definitely. And what does that look like? Um, well, obviously someone who's, like, done the inner work, because that's, like, a big thing. And I realize the more work you do, the more rare you become. So that means you're the more rare of a partner that you'll have. Um, but just someone knowing what they want and not just knowing what they want, being ready mm-hmm. for what they want. Mm-hmm. And... Um, you know, it's just so weird in this culture that we lived in. I was in relationships from, like, 16 to, like, 26, 27, mm-hmm. with a few breaks in between. And so me dating back then, it was just so simple. If you like a guy, you know, you just kind of fall in love and, like, mm-hmm. forget the world. But nowadays, it's just, it's not like that. Right. And then you get older, you have more things to lose. You can't just um, do that. But just someone who realizes, like, look... I see all this that's going on in the world, but this is what I want. This is the kind of life I, I want for myself. Mm-hmm. And I'd like for you to be a part of that. Yeah. And I want to back. you said that you, you felt a level of guilt because, well, maybe you didn't say guilt, but I think you said you felt the level of guilt because you weren't, you're not with the father of your child. I mean. Shame. The, the father, yeah. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, definitely shame. And that's more so because I feel like when people don't, I don't go around telling people why me and my child's father aren't together. Mm. But seeing that I work in conservative politics, the number one thing they talk about is like the nuclear family. Right. And 
I, I love Jovi's dad as a person, but us together was just not healthy. Yeah. And I don't even know if me or him would even be here today to raise her if me and him were still together. Yeah. So it's like the people, when they talk about like the black single mom, mm. again, I think they're referring to that low, the very bottom, the like small number of black mom, you know, yeah. but the average single black mother who is self-aware, I feel like it's, it's okay. So it's kind of like a battle between that and me telling myself, like, it's fine. You made the right decision. And like, you're not with the father of your child. How could this affect my daughter? Yeah. And I think people got to understand, they, they should understand nuances. You have to understand right. that you were in this circumstance or in this situation where it started to, I'm, I'm assuming by using context context clues that it began to become violent or abusive in some sort of way be it, you know verbal emotional physical whatever mm-hmm. and you had to remove yourself from that um are you proud of yourself for that like do you how do you feel about that I feel I'm so proud of myself for that actually because I'll see people that like me and my child's father knew you know back when in our days of being together and those people are still together and they're like unhappy or like the guy's still beating her. And it's just like, if I would have stayed with him, he wouldn't have been able to grow on on his own either. And I don't think he's like that at all anymore, but where we both were in life, that just kind of was our relationship. And, um, but the Jasmine I was back then is like so different from like who I am now. So it's like, I don't even I won't say I don't relate to her, but it's more so like it seems so foreign to me that that was me. Yeah, yeah. You just look back and think like, what the fuck was I thinking? Yes, but then at the same time, it's like I hold so much empathy for my old self. And I'm so, and actually, I'm like super happy. I thought about this recently. I'm so happy I went through that though, because in a way, it was like a a life boot boot camp, and so like I got. I took a lot of hits, uh, literally and figuratively. Um, but it like built me up mm. to like be able to sustain and uh, maintain and just like keep going. Have you ever, because I mean, in this situation, you were a victim. Have you ever looked back and just thought, like, you know, what, why do you, has there ever been a moment where you thought maybe it was your fault or have you, like, what's the thought when you look back on that? Um, no, I, so like right after I had left him, I started asking myself that question. Cause I'm like, I felt like I was like, just came out of a fog or something. So I'm yeah. like, why did I stay? Like, what was wrong with me? But I found out there's this thing called abuse amnesia. Mm-hmm. And I think I went through that. So let's say that like something would happen and he would beat me up and let's say like we're on a trip or something when he's doing this and the next day might be great, like a great day. So like when we leave that trip, all I'm going to think about is the great time and not really the abuse, even though like it's showing in my body with like me being tense or something like that. And so it just kept piling up over time. And because me having a child with him made me feel like I had to stick it out even longer, even more. And it's just like, Mm -hmm. I don't have to do that. Abuse amnesia. I guess that's kind of similar to um, uh, when uh, suppress, is, is that what they say? Like when children suppress like negative thoughts or behavior or things that happened to them growing up? Yeah. Yeah, no, nah, that's, I mean, it seemed like you might be right on with that. I, now, looking back, are you proud of yourself? 
Yeah, one thousand percent. Yeah, yeah. Because a lot of people wouldn't have had the chance to get out of that. A lot of people wouldn't have wanted to get out of that. I mean, you you see it now, like you said, with some of the, the old relationships that you knew about, where it was abusive and everything like that. Um, what was the determining factor, the thing that made you say, "All right, I'm done with this"? Um, well, a lot of things, but I do one thing that, like, I always um I credit this to is my friend Jay, mm-hmm. and. He was, I mean, he was always there for me, like, throughout the whole time, a good guy. But he had told me um, my child's father was supposed to be, like, meeting me. We were, like, living together at the time. It was his birthday. He was supposed to be meeting me that night, and he didn't. Mm -hmm. And my friend, because he said saw him put his hands on me, just do a lot to me. And that night when he saw me crying about it, he was just like, Jasmine, you look like a fool, and for some reason, that just, like, woke me up. I was like, you know what? I do look like a fool. Like, I'm crying. And I'm like, I'm crying over this man who's treating me great. Mm-hmm. And he's not. So that day, I packed up my bags. Or that same night, packed up my bags, got my daughter. And I went to Cookville to my mom's house. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Listen, it's rough. It's rough getting out of those situations. That's why, I mean, I kind of grew a, I grew a bad relationship with, with love. You know, like I, I, I started to view love as like like negative, how you would drugs or something like that. Because a lot of the times you love this, you love that person, and it'll allow you to like basically hurt yourself or hurt someone or just be in a messed up situation. And I don't think that's fair, you know. And because of that, I grew a negative relationship with love, you know. Yeah, I'm at a point where... I have to be real with myself. Somebody asked me, I went, on a, I went on a date with this guy not long ago, and he was, like, asking me what I wanted out of a man. And I'm not really sure how I answered that, but he asked me, he was like, and are you at a place where you can reciprocate that? Yeah. And and it was all, like, emotional and, like, the emotional labor. And I had to be honest with myself, like, I don't know. Like, yeah. at least not with him, I didn't think so, you know, but... And so now whenever I do meet new people or if a guy takes me out, when I think about them before I, you know, give a second date or continue talking to them, it's like, do I think I can reciprocate the emotional labor that they would give to me? Yeah, yeah. Or sometimes that they would need. Because you see a lot of people sometimes they just need way more than what you're able to give. Yeah. And I think that's the situation with me now. Like, I'm in a situation where I am taking care of my elderly mother. I am a full-time father. You know, I have my son every day, and it's 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 tough. Yeah, I've learned that. So, like, usually, even that, like, I have a five-year-old, but it's, like, I've probably only talked to, like, two or three guys my whole entire life who have children. Mm. And me and my homegirl were just talking about that. Like, single dads are just like us. It's, like, yeah. a mirror to myself <laughs> whenever yeah. I talk to a single dad because it's, like, do you want to come over tonight? They're, like, oh, no, my kid's my kid. here. Or, yeah. you know, I'm just, like, damn, like, I get it now. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I really understand how hard it is. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm because you said something. You said, you know, you, well, I wish that I could have made, you know, things right or had a the nuclear family you know in the home as well I always wanted that because I didn't grow up with that and I wished I I could could make that right or do something with that and but I I, you know I couldn't I didn't I I feel like I failed him a lot of the times but it is it's it's hard and now I you know pretty much in my mother who has Alzheimer's 
you know, it's even worse now because maybe, you know, this is not like my son's mother isn't around. Right. She's here. So, you know, she'll get him, but still I got my mom right here. Right. So it's even, you know, it's even worse now. <laughs> yeah, and so that was part of, like, I had to learn, like, so you remember when Kevin Samuels was really popular? Yeah. Uh-huh. And people would say, like, don't date single mothers or just mm-hmm. whatever. Mm-hmm. But I had to learn and just be real with myself, like, because at first I thought I was just, like, the number one draft pick. Like, you can't tell me <laughs> shit, you know? Like, and um, I had dated, or I was talking to this Nigerian guy, and he mm-hmm. was just like, you know, to be honest, um, men in Nigeria don't date single moms unless the husband's dead. Mm-hmm. And that had kind of offended me at first. And then, like, you know, it's like, you know, that's okay. Like, mm-hmm. I get that. And now, like, after just being real and, like, thinking of schedule and just, like, there is somebody who would have to come before whatever man that I'm with, yeah. at least, you know, now mm-hmm. while she's still young, that it's just like, damn, like, I get it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's why I tell people you have to be sure. The person that you have a kid with, that you have a baby with, you have to be sure because I'm telling you, if you get put in a situation where me and you are now, it, it's rough, it's tough. Yeah. And it takes a special type of person to be able to deal with that, you know. And see, I haven't dated for real, since my daughter, like, my daughter's whole life outside of her dad. Mm. So, like, even that is, like, crazy for me just to think. And I don't know if I'm, like, an avoidant attachment, mm. but the guys that I do talk to, they always live far away. Yeah. Like, so it's like I do have that connection, but they don't have to be, like, right there beside me. Yeah. But I know eventually, like, that I'm going to have to allow someone into my space yeah. and be around my daughter. And I know that's a lot to handle. And it's like, do I even want to put that on anybody? Yeah. yeah. That's that's exactly where I'm at now. You know, like, do I really want to put that on someone? Because they don't know. The average person, I was saying that actually with the mother of my child, she's like the average person who, you know, who knows you or who doesn't know you, they wouldn't understand that you genuinely do not have time it's the saying you make time for what you want i literally have no time like i don't have any time because outside of you know me taking care of those two i am going to school full time going back went back to get my master's and everything and i do have the podcast and you know it's just i i genuinely don't have time it's like you make time for what you want it's like all right i mean i guess i can try i make i make time for this but this is something that i do and that i'm pursuing as my business so I don't know. I don't know. That's why I just say like I want like a puzzle piece, like someone who just like fits perfectly. Mm-hmm. I don't have to like try to maneuver my life too much. Mm-hmm. They don't have to do the same. Like yeah. you know, even if it's something because I am gone a lot of weekends or mm-hmm. whatever working. But even someone with enough time freedom to be like, hey, like I know I can see you this week, but like I'll come with you on your trip and we'll hang out there. Like yeah. that. That's more so how I feel like I'm able to like form more bonds or men are kind of meeting me where I'm at yeah. because I can't just got too much to do. Yeah. 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 Um, now where you are in your life, um, are there ever moments that you feel overwhelmed? Yeah, definitely. What do you do in those moments? Um, probably honestly get on TikTok. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, no, I just, remember like this is nothing like this is all it's gonna be okay and I'm at a point in life where I'm just very detached from like certain outcomes and I believe that like whatever happens is always for my greatest good so I'm able to really chill so like when I get overwhelmed nowadays it's more so because like 
I book too many things at the same time or, you know, like just me. Um, I don't know. Like it's never, it's usually isn't anything life related. It's more so things that I got myself into. Mm. So I just like take responsibility from, for it. Gotcha. Whatever happens is for your greatest good. Yes. What does that mentality come from? Your belief in God? My belief in God. But then even just like I said earlier, um, my abusive relationship, like yeah. even though I was going through it, it made me somebody better. So it's like even that was like the worst of the worst, you know, in my life. And if something great can come from that, then that means everything's working together. Like During those moments, did you want to share that with someone? Like, I know you said you had your guy friend, but was there ever anyone like men or anything in your life that were important to you? That Like, I just need to let him know this. Or were you afraid? Like, what was the mindset? Uh, so my guy friend uh, was actually gay. So like... Mm. But, no, at, at the beginning, I would. But then, like, you get, I lost a lot of friends. I mean, there's my friends now, but my friends kind of distanced themselves from me, which I totally understand yeah. why. Like, I was just always in something toxic. I'm always leaving him, and then, like, they'd come get me, and then, like, I'd be right back. Yeah. Um. So I did used to confide a lot, but towards the end, I became very recluse because I was very, I was embarrassed. And it's just like, um, and my dad had told me something one time and I'm thankful that my dad didn't really try to intervene or do anything. He kind of left it up to me, but he said, just ask yourself, like, do you want the next five years of your life to continue like this? And so, and that's really all he could do because even if he were to go and like beat up, like beat up my baby's daddy, like we'd be right back together. Yeah. Yeah. That's a strong father. Because my baby girl, I don't see me being able to be rational about my baby girl. You know what I mean? I just, about my child, period, but about my daughter. I don't have a daughter, but, you know, I'm a sucker for my son already. So I can imagine how I would be about my daughter. And he also lived, he lives in Memphis. So, like, it wasn't like he could just pull up on me. But, yeah. yeah. But, I mean, you talk, you spoke about him a lot. He seems like he, you know, is a thinker. You seem like you're a thinker. Maybe that's something that you get from him. Like, you wow situations. You don't react emotionally a lot of the times to certain things. Even as I speak to you a lot of the times, I can. it's always a hesitation, a thought, uh, you know, of what you're about to say before you say it. And I think that's a good quality to have as a person, just a moment to consume what you just heard. Yeah, I'm actually teaching my daughter that right now because um, when my cousin passed away, mm-hmm. it really hit me that, like, um, well, my cousin has, she has uh, two kids, And I think they were like five and just a couple months old when she passed away. Mm -hmm. And I just know that there's so much that she wanted to teach them and like she didn't have the time to. Mm -hmm. So right now I'm just like, um, so I'll point to my head and point to my lips. And like, that's me and Jovi's code for think before you speak. Mm -hmm. And even though she doesn't really get that now because she's five, you know, but when she gets older, it's going to be like ingrained in her. And she's like, oh, this is what my mom meant, you know? So it's like, I'm really big on trying to like just like let her know because I didn't know this shit growing up yeah yeah and that's that's the beauty of life I said that this last episode is we don't get the tools to be able to do this so we have to we have to be taught by the most you know the most ruthless teacher in life which is life itself life trial and error that will like you know break most people or certain people but we get to learn from that and after we learn, we pass the information down to, you know, our children. 
Uh, are you with with the passing of your cousin with, with her her kids? Or is that do you keep them a lot? Do you deal with them or interact with them? Um, so her mom has her kids, and um, her dad I think sees them, or they kind of share them. But I think her mom has full custody. I don't see them as much, um, only because I work so much. But me and her son and my daughter have like a little yearly tradition of going to the pumpkin patch. Around uh, Halloween, so. yeah, yeah, no, that's good, that's good. I I asked that question because you know I, I've had a lot of friends, a few friends pass away who had you know who left kids behind, and I always something in me I feel like I'm not doing enough a lot of the times with their kids yeah. or what I should be doing. But life is so hard, you know. You have so much, so many things going on, and you can't really dedicate. You can't really replace you know, them. And don't you feel, kind of feel bad, like, being, like, even, I don't know, it's so weird. It's like, I feel bad, like, and being around them kind of hurts sometimes. Yeah. And it's like, I don't know if that's me, like, subconscious, subconsciously trying to avoid the hurt. Mm-hmm. Um, But it's like, I love them to death, but mm-hmm. gosh, it just hurts so bad. Yeah, yeah, because they look like the parent. Yeah. You know, you see it's like, oh, you are that you see the mannerisms, the things that they may do, and it reminds you of the parent. It's, it's, I mean, that definitely, you know, yeah. Or you're just like, damn, I wish they were here to yeah. see this, and it's just like, fuck, like, yeah, that that gets me. That's hard. How do you, how do you deal with that? How do you deal with the the passing of someone that meant so much to you? What does that look like? Um. Like, I, I think I talked to you last episode, like, just how, what I think happens when we die and, like, mm-hmm. what happened before we got here. There's nothing I can do but, like, kind of accept it because mm-hmm. there's more to life than just, like, what we see. And mm-hmm. we're, our spirit or whatever, mm-hmm. our soul kind of lives forever. And I feel like you pick when you're going to die and you know how you're going to die and how that's going to affect the world or whatever. And... So it's like there's nothing you can do. We're all gonna die one day. So that's interesting because I, I I was actually watching something on YouTube where you had children who remembered choosing their parents and the life that they wanted to live early on. Have you ever heard of that? Um, no, I mean kind of because yeah. that's kind of like what I believe. Mm-hmm. And your belief is? Well, I don't know if there's like a certain name for it. Yeah. It's just you know things that I've gathered over the past, but it's more so like. I feel like Earth is a school, mm-hmm. and only like the the toughest and most brave souls come here. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, that's what Dolores Cannon says, mm-hmm. and um, it's kind of like people can hear about Earth, but like to actually be here and be physical and like actually experience love and experience hurt, and it's just like people we come here and we're like. I, we, well, before we come here, we're like, I can do this. I can beat it, whatever. Then we get here and we realize, like, it's yeah, not that yeah, easy. Yeah. And so, like, next, so I might die, and I'm like, okay, well, this time I'm going to try it like this mm-hmm. and, like, switch up. You know, next life I might be a fucking, I don't know, like a, a royal or something, yeah. you know? Mm-hmm. So, but, I mean, that's just a theory. Yeah, yeah. Um, what did the girl that was on the last episode, she called it the, the woman that was on the last episode, she said, this is the realm of suffering, I think is how oh, she see, put it. I don't Oh, she can, I can see how people would say that, but I more so like to look at everything from a more positive angle. Mm-hmm. So that's fair. That's fair. <laughs> and the world's so negative, you have to, because that's all we, that's the thing that goes the most, you know, the negativity. You can say something, you know, 
positive right now that could help, that should help millions of people, and it won't reach them. It's the negativity. If you said something negative right now, that'll reach, you know, hundreds and thousands of people. And that's just, I think that's just the way things are, you know. But that's good that you have that mentality that you think, you know, positive first. Listen, it's always great having you on the show. And I want you to come back. I really, I don't know why I was thinking that you already had the speaking engagement. But after you come back from that, I really want you to, you know, come in and tell us about, you know, how that went in the whole process. I think that with your view and how you view things, you can convince a lot of people to come over to the conservative side. Yeah. And it's like at this point, no one really wanted to open a door for me. But Mm. now that. It's like doors are opening. It's like, hell yeah. yeah. I'm about to like kick in the back and let a lot of yeah. people in, you yeah. know? Yeah. Because you said something. You said there's not, you know, conservative, a black conservative or just conservative period is not one specific thing. It's layers and it's different types of people. It's not just the, uh, how did you put it? The uh, cookie cutter conservative. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and I see that, like, you know, I told you where I felt like I was kind of silenced because I wasn't polished enough. Mm-hmm. But throughout the years, it's like more people come up to me and they're just like, if there was more people like you, like we could have this or, you Mm -hmm. know, and it's like I started, you know, whenever you don't believe something for yourself, Mm -hmm. at least start believing the compliments that Mm -hmm. you get and just feed it to yourself. So now I see it and it kind of hurts my feelings when people message me and they'll be like, you know, I really want to become or I think I'm a conservative and I feel like I'd be a great voice for you guys because you guys don't have someone like me. Mm -hmm. And it's like, honestly, we have so many people like me. So many cool, regular people, they go, they might go out on the weekend, you know, mm-hmm. whatever. They could be the most uptight Christian, whatever, but regular, listen to rap. Mm-hmm. But those people are not pushed to the forefront. Yeah. It's like, I don't know if they're like afraid they're going to say the wrong thing or whatever it is, but it's like, those are the people that the people want. We don't want to see just um, perfection all the time or people performing and it's just mm-hmm. like we want to see black people who love being black and are still have or, and still have strong conservative values mm-hmm. that's that's what the people want and yeah. the, those people exist yeah for sure for sure we get to see the uh how do you feel about candace owens um i love candace um i feel like because of her i've had a lot of opportunities uh with her organization blexit do i agree with everything she says no i'm a free thinker um but it's more so one of those things where i feel like she walked so i could run type thing like she had to break down a lot of barriers and she had to like uh, and i think that's kind of where and I don't really want to speak for her, but from the outside looking in, I feel like that's kind of where her no-nonsense approach comes from is because she did come in wanting to just wake everybody up and, you know, and she was sit there and argue or whatever. But now it's like, these are the facts. This is what it is. And I don't care what you think. I don't, you know, and, and I, I respect her for that. But me, I still, I feel like, you know, I have a little bit more empathy because I am kind of clo- more closely connected to the shit. But, um... I like her, and I really appreciate her. Strong woman. Hell of a speaker. I wouldn't want to sit in front of her and have a debate. I would never want to debate her. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I would never want to sit in front of her and have a debate. Yeah. No, but again, thank you for coming on the show. It's always great sitting down speaking with you. Um, Yeah, thank you. No problem. Yeah. Listen, this is the Chai Podcast. We'll get real, raw, authentic conversations. Until next time.